This time, we climb up a borrowed ladder while watching Gattaca. And along the way, we ask, how did Danny DeVito get involved in this film? Is this the future of discrimination? And who brings a mop to clean a roof? We're not saving anything for the swim back on this edition of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hey gang, it's Sean from Force-Fed Sci-Fi. I wanted to drop a little preface to this episode. Uh, we did experience, me primarily, during the recording of this, some technical difficulties with the audio. So... If you do hear things that sound a little out of whack, sorry about that. And yeah, thanks for subscribing and checking us out and listening to us. Enjoy your quarantine. And here is our episode of Gattaca. Hello, gang. Welcome back to another advantageous episode of Force-Fed Sci-Fi. My name is Sean Michael Cope, and with me is my grandiose partner in crime. I am Chris Rupp. Hey, Chris, how you doing today? (laughs) Oh, Dandy, another day inside, hanging out with my dog, and of course, uh, get a chance to discuss the film today, which is Gattaca. (laughs) That's right, Gattaca. I know it's it's our first, I think, Ethan Hawke film. Uh, I know you're not too big of a fan of Ethan Hawke, but I just had to sneak one in there, man. I just had to. Yeah, I've got nothing against Ethan Hawke, but I mean, if he keeps doing clunkers like he does every now and then, he's going to wind up like John Travolta. <laughs> I was watching a YouTube video of uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, and I guess they had auditioned for Dead Poet Society in the 80s uh, when they were really young, and they got a callback. They got to the second round, but unfortunately, they ended up losing to Ethan Hawke, and I think the guy's name is Robert Leonard? or something he he people would know him as uh wilson and the house series so i guess a fun fact for you all out there well thank goodness that happened because they would have ruined dead poet society (laughs) well they ended up having their comeback in uh 1997 you know with goodwill hunting ben affleck and uh matt damon each won the oscar for best writing and you know robin williams won best supporting and that film ended up being one of the staples i think for a lot of people that wanted to become therapists psychologists well before we get too far down the goodwill hunting robin williams rabbit hole because that is a deep one um let's bring it back to gattaca and provide a quick plot synopsis before we kind of dive in Go for it. All right. So in a future where children are created using high-end genetic sequencing instead of live births, Vincent has struggled his entire life to make his way and get out of the shadow of his younger brother. Until one day, Vincent leaves home and begins a new life posing as Jerome Morrow, an engineered man who suffered a debilitating accident and enters into an agreement with Vincent to aid him in this masquerade. Vincent's double life is in danger of being discovered following a brutal murder in his workplace, and he has now become the prime suspect. Ooh. (laughs) Solid, solid, solid work once again for Synopsis Man. No, thank you. And I I mean, if you just reading the title Gattaca, it doesn't really give much of an indication as to what this film is about. 
Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be a film about eugenics and, uh, what, Jude Law in a wheelchair and freaking Irma Thurman. from the, It was like typical 90s. We can't uh, forget about uh, Irma Thurman's bombastic career in the 90s. Oh yeah, this is um this is a great cast and this is something I forget about this movie every single time I watch it is how good and how loaded this cast is. Oh, you've seen this prior to this viewing? I yeah, I think uh I took a genetics course in high school many many years ago and this was this is actually something they sh- uh, the teacher showed in class cuz I guess they didn't have a lesson plan for a couple of days. <laughs> uh, so who you know we already said for the cast we have ethan hawk as our protagonist uh jude law irma thurman and then also we have a for me it was a strange appearance um with alan arkin he uh he was a fedora wearing trench coat jacket man yeah he was a police detective in uh, in this film, I haven't really seen too much Alan Arkin. Um, to be honest, I've seen him in like Argo. Um, I saw him in Kaminsky Method with uh, Michael Douglas. It was just a surprise appearance to see him and be like, "Oh, okay, so you're you know like Morgan Freeman. You never age at all." No, Alan Arkin's been permanently like 65 years old for the last 40 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it looks like it, you know? Well, kudos to him. He's a, he's a hell of an actor, you know? Yeah, but this also includes Gord Duvall, uh, Gore Vidal, excuse me, as director Yosef, uh, Xander Berkeley, who uh, uh, mainstay in television over the last 15, 20 years or so. He's Dr. Lamar. Um, Elias Cotius as uh, Antonio Freeman, Vincent's father. Ernest Borgnine as Caesar, which is weird to see Ernest Borgnine, like old Ernest Borgnine in any movie. <laughs> and uh, with this film, it's directed by, uh, who is that? Andrew uh, Nickel? Nickel, yep. And as we said in the opening, so this is the 90s. And in the 90s, Danny DeVito was attached to a lot of films, usually as a producer, or sometimes you saw him in there as a writer or director. And there are always films that weren't usually his typical stuff. Like, he was known for more comedy. He did, like, Throw Mama from the Train, One Who Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. But he produced Gattaca. This is one of those films. And you're just kind of like... Wait, Danny DeVito? What is he doing on here? A film about eugenics? It's it's weird. I mean, some people, some actors in Hollywood, you, you don't really think of them as a producer. I mean, but Danny DeVito, like you mentioned, it, it was in some really, really good big films in the 90s. I think the... Uh, God, what was the other one? It was uh, John Grisham attorney film with matt damon of oh, the rainmaker yeah he he was in that he's fantastic in that he was in he's also in the uh tim burton batman sequel batman returns which is a criminally underrated superhero movie in my opinion yeah absolutely and um 
for you young listeners out there that don't know who Danny DeVito is, I know, like, in our modern age, he's more known as, like, a meme or, you know, the guy from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia with the crazy hair and the fat face. Um, but he, I would recommend for listeners that don't know his filmography to check him out. He's been in a lot of great films, like Chris said. Um, I think he really has some range, and he was pretty big back in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let's Let's start diving into it. So... The film was made on a budget of $36 million, which was a lot back in the day, and it's still a lot now. It translates to $56.5 million in 2020 money. It was originally titled The Eighth Day, but a Belgian film was released with the same title at the same time, so the title was changed to Gattaca. Gattaca is a word that's made up of the same four letters of the protein bases that make up DNA. So it's guanine, adenine, thymine, and cytosine. So a bit of, bit of nerd speak for y'all out there. Ah. So, yeah, right off the bat, we're introduced to this future where naturally born babies are kind of frowned upon. Yeah, it's very, very anti-natural. It's like, why would you take the chance on that? Why wouldn't you augment your child to have the perfect characteristics, you know, as opposed to, oh, taking the chance for a natural born. But what if it doesn't well, come out exactly as you want it to be? I don't want to live in a, in this world where sex has become something to a bore. Say what you will about some of the other films we've discussed, but at least they've never taken the position that sex is something to like look your nose down upon yeah with the whole anti-natural birth and everything and getting pregnant and all that it's just they don't they they don't enjoy you know the fruits of it it's merely i feel like how it was portrayed in this film it was just very one-dimensional like they couldn't connect that it was pleasure and if you want you could reproduce and have a child like because in this world they say nope nope if you're you have to gemet, you know have the perfect child so sex for like reproductive is nope you don't do that you don't want it it's just solely pleasure well in this world sex is very they take the position that the novel brave new world kind of uh took as well by saying sex is a, a, a more of a pleasure pursuit as opposed to this ultimate goal of creating a child it's it no longer is it's no it's no longer the beautiful act that it should be it's now just like oh well we just do it for pleasure yeah which i mean i get it if you just do sex for pleasure because you know i guess you you can create your own superhuman person (laughs) as opposed to having a regular person so i mean i guess it makes sense like with that but i feel like you know that's what makes us human having natural childbirth as opposed not to say you know people that adopt or don't but you know like that's like one of the elements of us um being a species and everything animals and when you take that away it really changes us well they solve the problem of you know, creating the perfect human beings, but they don't solve the other problems that are plaguing the world at this time. No, exactly. They don't. They So, sure, it's like, yeah, they have their perfect, 
six foot one, you know, perfect athletic build, twenty twenty vision, but for all intents and purposes, there is still poverty, a big disparity, you know, between the haves and have nots. So it's like, okay, what about the environment? Is that still messed up? Okay. <laughs> so you fixed one problem, but okay. And it's very much that case in this film, whereas you, you substitute the poor people for people who were born naturally and the rich people as those who are, I guess, engineered is the, is the right word. Yeah. And now this is eugenics. This is the epitome of a eugenics. It, you know, eugenics has been going on since the beginning of time. You know, a leader wants the perfect 100% race, the perfect, you know, what they view as the perfect species. Now that's it viewed in a negative light. Um, but let's say, you know, for argument, sake of argument, if you could utilize eugenics to potentially benefit humans, um, let's say you can modify people so you can take away Parkinson's, uh, diabetes, Down syndrome, autism, Angelman's disease, like all these uh, physical disabilities, mental disabilities that we have. Would you do that? And do you think that that could have been, could be like a step towards progression? Well, see, you've listed off a very noble reason for wanting to pursue eugenics. But at the same time, eugenics has been debunked as a pseudoscience pretty much for... Uh, like a science tool for racism. It's it's the same thing with phrenology, you know, examining the bumps on in one's skull and head to determine things, you know, like um, propensity towards criminality or violent behavior. Which is, which is absolutely nuts to think that that's how we lived a long time ago. But that's science, you know, we got to progress and sometimes there's a lot of bigots that take hold at first to make progression, you know? Inevitably, anything that's created to bolster someone else's horrible thoughts and feelings is never a good thing. And there, it, really with anything I that has a potential for being misused for horrible purposes isn't something that's, that should be used in the, in the, in the primary public. And I, Totally agree. I think it's absolutely um, in this world, as we've seen, you know, whenever there is a commodity that we can utilize to cause disparage between people or capitalize on it, make money. I'm, I have no doubt that if we could find a way to take Parkinson's or Down syndrome or something out of people, it would be commodified and then it would cause a divide because it would be too expensive. And then you would have the haves and have-nots, the perfect people and the imperfect. It would be essentially like Elysium, you know? It would just be a big war between people, you know? So I totally agree with you there. Well, and the the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps have really helped to form people's current opinions about eugenics when the horrors of what the scientists, quote-unquote, were doing... Uh, came out during the Nuremberg trials and the 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 striving that the the entire population had towards creating this perfect 
again, quote unquote, Aryan being was a total falsehood. It just, it, there's, I don't have a better word to say it than that because there was the desire to create a blonde haired, blue eyed Aryan child. And yet, you know, Adolf Hitler was something like five, five and, you know, had breathing issues and was pudgy and was addicted to methamphetamine. So even, even he didn't fit within his definition of what Aryan meant. Yeah. And you know, that's, but that's life. I feel like where our idea of quote unquote perfect is never, I don't think it's ever obtainable and I just don't think it's real. Right. And the argument that this film makes is that it doesn't matter how perfectly engineered you are. You are still human and you're still as fallible to your emotions as everyone else is. Yes, exactly. And Ethan Hawke is this like genetic cocktail of disarray. And somehow he comes together with Jude Law, who's this perfect being. You know, the the apex of what humans should be. But even with that apex, Jude Law isn't perfect. Like, he's paralyzed from the waist down. He's an alcoholic. Like, he's well, it, got issues. So it's kind of like the exterior may look beautiful, but the inside and, like, who you are, will you know, is what matters. And no matter how perfect you look, there's always going to be imperfections. And it also seemed to me as well that the majority of the engineered people in the film are not content with their life yeah jude law's character it he implies that he threw himself in front of the car that that paralyzed him and at the end of the film he ends up committing suicide it's uh it's interesting it makes you think and i love this film i love how it portrays wealth and like everything that we believe is true, like even in modern times, like being rich and wealthy is the way to go. You know, if I buy into fashion and I look a certain way, I'm going to be happy. But it doesn't matter, like if you have all the tools in the shed, you know, depression knows no person, you know, it has no um, bias. And I think uh, the disparity, like how... The, a great portrayal of like realism and like our society is um, in the movie that won Best Picture, Parasite. It shows like these polar opposites, like a poor family and then a rich family, and like they each have their problems, and they each have very similar problems despite being so different in socioeconomic status. And I think that's true, like with Gattaca, you know, like it doesn't matter between Ethan Hawke and Jude Law. They each have problems. Everyone has problems in this film, regardless of how perfect they feel or look. It's this air that people of a certain stature in life want to put on themselves as saying, because I have this job or because I have this amount in my 401k or in my bank account, that means, therefore, I don't have problems. It's But you do. Well, right. I mean, you have a brain. You have the same thought processes as anybody else. Just because you have, you know, you can write a a a large a check for a large amount of money. It doesn't make you better or worse than everybody else. It just makes you the same person. Exactly. You just get your Cheerios fed a different way than me. Right. <laughs> <laughs>
like I, I put it like this like like my girlfriend and I recently she got me started watching Downton Abbey and if you're yeah oh, I, I I may, I, I promise wait you mean the Downton Abbey that we poo pooed on a couple of months ago well I started watching it with her so she'd get off my back about it <laughs> but it's about it's about an aristocratic right. British family and the um, the the group of servants that, you know, take care of the house and them. And I always thought like, you know, if, if the rich aristocratic family ever decided to start treating the servants poorly, like all the servants have to do is just, you know, pee in their cereal every morning. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, it's, it (laughs) don't want to go too far down a rant here, but it's, it starts with treating people as human beings, not as, a lesser than you because no one is yeah no one else is or else it would turn into the movie yeah the help where <laughs> a pie full of poop pie. <laughs> and oh that pie is not what you think it is by the way jeremy I'm sure you're smiling that Chris mentioned Downton Abbey. Yeah, I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to get like a ton of text messages from Jeremy saying like, oh my God, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? <laughs> God, I wish he was here. <sighs> so Gattaca, this sexless, perfect pseudoscience world, how did the director's depiction of this world make you feel like what did you think about it everything is very much in this almost like watercolor kind of state throughout the film we see very much a certain like orange tint you know blue tint green tint throughout the film and it just i I wouldn't say it exactly lends itself to any sort of futuristic quality because this was also really kind of the start of the trend in films of kind of giving an orange tint to everything when you know Roger Deakins started putting his mark on cinematography everybody was doing the orange tint in the late 90s and uh, early 2000s to me it felt like the matrix the beginning scene with neo before he gets unplugged and the color palette of the matrix that he lives in is very like it has that green tint to it that's like what this film Gattaca when I watched it it felt like just had that haze over literally everything and all of the scenes they felt um very 70s 60s sci-fi-esque like I really got heavy Space Odyssey 2001 vibes Logan Run vibes it definitely i felt like the director was paying an homage and homage however the hell you say that word um in my mind when i saw this and it's very possible that that's what they were doing but uh, to me if you're if you're going to set your film and be very specific that this film is set in the near future and yet you kind of don't give anything to tip your hand to it that's you're kind of like you kind of half doing your job at that point okay explain because we see people that are we see the 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 police officers in this film are dressed you know they have fedoras they have trench coats on they look like they're going to work in 1965 and then we also see the old school 1950s style cars it's it's weird maybe maybe it was set in cuba 
because <laughs> they're still driving cars from the 40s and 50s. So maybe maybe it was that. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but we don't know. The director doesn't tell us. <laughs> so we have no idea when this film is set. It's in a very undisclosed time uh, with very curious uh characteristics and choices that the director made about this uh future world um did you think that this world is very livable would you want to live in gattaca would you choose like if you had a child or that would like to have that perfect eugenic child cocktail like so that they could go be a spaceman would you choose that no i don't think i would because you know it I wouldn't want to live in this world where that is the preferred method for having children. All right. So you would be an L natural. I wish. Um, yeah, actually, you know, I wish I wish in this movie they did show more of like the division between the people, you know, maybe like some protesters or like what was going on with the L natural and the eugenified homies. I think it just became this accepted part of society which is i mean it's even more unfortunate than the fact that you know we're now engineering babies as opposed to making them the old-fashioned way i mean it, it, this this has to be very far down in the future where people just accept it like well oh, yeah this is how babies are made you go to the the you go to the baby store and you you fill out a questionnaire as to what you want you know they had to have like a link or something like to explain it to people you know like I wonder what life that is that where people just like you know there's no more pregnant people they just they just ferry them into these factories they like take your dna and make a little cocktail of kids like how how does the advertisement work for that like what do they say step on in don't worry about carrying that child for nine months anymore it's not your problem Take out any characteristics, design it for however you want in your life. This is your baby, your way. Oh boy. Just only five easy payments of $1,999 for nine months. Have your baby your way. Well, you make it sound so agreeable that I just, I, 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 I want to go pick up, I want to go pick up my own store-bought Starbucks baby right now. <laughs> Uh, so in this film, did you see any like commentary on race at all? Uh, because I didn't see anyone except Whitey. I saw hella white people. There was like no black people or really any other race except the white man. Well, it's definitely the idea of the the au natural children and the engineered people are. That's definitely the commentary on race in this film is the 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 love children are you know have the the low qualifying jobs or janitors or service people they're they're blocked by the engineered people from uh, moving up in society from getting the good jobs to having money they're those opportunities are closed off to them because of something that's beyond their control for just being who they are unfortunately yeah, and even how the police in, approach the investigation in the film is very um, commentative on um, police and race relations in the country as well. Yeah, I really thought it was interesting seeing the 
uh, depiction of how the police treated the people that weren't perfect. There was a lot of hearkening to uh, modern times, you know, with race and like the different type of uh, stereotyping. It was interesting seeing the perfect and non-perfect people being stereotyped and how they just jump to conclusions about people. It's just, what? <laughs> right. They they pick up an Aaron eyelash from a a love child and they just automatically assume like, oh, they he must have killed them. Blah. Oh, yeah. It was like, what the crap? It was huge. Who has hair like that? Why is it so close up? And why is there just like one hair out of all the people fluttering around these places? Yeah, the, the hairs... The hairs and the close-ups of the skin must have been filmed with like an electron microscope because they are extremely close up. Maybe because like society is so sterile, if one hair hits the ground, it's noticeable. But folks listening, it was like these white exterior walls and floors and everything. You just see this giant hair. If anything, the movie just makes you paranoid about how much dead skin and errant hairs are laying around your house. <laughs> Oh, God. Especially in these times. It's like, is this hair? Is it COVID-19 hair? Oh, no. (laughs) There are a lot of movies that just make me want to clean my house after watching it, but this is definitely one of them. (laughs) Along with vigorously scrubbing my skin to the point of bleeding, a la Howard Hughes. Well, lucky for you, Chris, if you're ashy, no one will know. (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's got to be horrible to have that kind of compulsion where you have to where you scrub and have to clean so hard that you cut yourself gosh yeah yeah for those who do scrub um just get help this is for force-fed sci-fis i guess public pa (laughs) public (laughs) announcement if you're suffering from scrubbing too much go see a therapist It'll be okay. It's okay to be ashy. Take care of your mental health and your physical well-being. Even the angry French cow. It'll tell you. Yes, angry French cow says, I may be bitter about my life, <laughs> but the happier you are, the less oppor- less chance you will have of eating me. Now, if you'll excuse me, I am going to go back to my cigarettes and my baguettes. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, baguettes in <laughs> nude beaches. No, no, we call them nude farms. Thank you, thank you, angry French cow. It is always a pleasure. We oui, we. Oui. <laughs> Au revoir, ladies and gentlemen. This has been another take from the angry smoking French cow. So, in this film, we really don't get much about Vincent's parents, at least I didn't see. Um, We do get a lot of him and his brother, uh, and particularly them swimming, endless swimming. That's like the big callback, like their memories that they keep showing, like them just swimming and racing and who's stronger. The thing with his parents is, while they're not in the film for very long, their impact is is felt tremendously right away when vincent is born there's debate between his father and his mother about what to name him because they they take a blood sample from 
fetus Vincent and it's automatically determined, oh, he has a heart defect. He's only going to live for like 15 years. And then right away we see Antonio have this like this pain go across his face and says, no, well, we're going to name him Vincent. He doesn't want to put his name on anything defective is what he is what it is yeah which is so terrifying to think about um it's just interesting like i guess if you're a it's a good question to ask i mean it's an important question that i think comes across a lot of people's minds like if you were gonna have a child and they ended up having a disorder disease or like an ailment would you name them after you i mean well it's it's sad because Vincent's father disowns him right away. He's not even two minutes old, and all of a sudden he just it's like, well, I don't, I don't want this kid in my life. Yeah, which is just disgusting to think about, just disowning your kid because of that. Yeah, I, I, I do not blame Vincent at all for not liking his dad because of that, because... You know, younger brother Anton comes along a few years later, and then he's he's the apple of his parents' eye. He's practically a junior. Like that's that's got to be messed up. You have a younger brother that's a junior. Like, what was wrong with the older brother getting named Junior Dad? Like, what's going on there? Do you have something you want to talk to me about? Yeah, exactly. This film is just it's very much a deep drama. I would say, like Vincent, the whole time just can't catch a break. His family disowned him struggling with ailments he just it's a really dour film to watch like there is no action he it's not one of those feel good we also don't see vincent have any sort of loving relationship with his mother either no he he really he is alone in this world yeah and it, it's more of an indictment on his father than it is his mother because you know dear old dad almost goes out of his way to disown vincent and make him feel like he's not really part of the family whereas dear old mom just kind of acquiesces to dad's wishes yeah it's very whatever you want dear i'll get back to the kitchen yes 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 sir and and that affects vincent's relationship with everybody else in the film as well you don't see him have positive role models as a young man and as an adult i mean it's not like the director of gattaca is interacting with him on any sort of you know loving interaction um Mm-hmm. Even the German mm-hmm. Tony Shalhoub's character just it, it, this is more this is a financial transaction for him. He's not looking to for friendship or anything. Yeah, um, yeah. There, him and Jerome are more like roommates than they are friends because at times they have this very aggressive, antagonistic relationship with each other. And I think that's why like some of the best moments are with Jude Law and Vincent, um, like when they get drunk together. It is very much a transaction between the characters. And they, well, they are kind of roommate-esque too. And like when they get drunk, they're bickering and like Vincent has to put him to bed and he doesn't want to. So he's just like, he just views him as a means to an end. And it it really kind of goes understated just the sacrifice that Jerome is making in the film as well. I mean, he's he's having to harvest his blood all the time, his urine, and he's doing so much. It it really I don't think it I'm just not entirely sure what his 
motivations were in the film for helping him to for helping vincent ascend this borrowed ladder yeah and that was kind of my question too with it all like what does jerome get out of it he's like you said giving up his blood his time i mean it's not really stated or maybe i missed it um maybe he always wanted to be an astronaut and so him giving vincent his name and everything it's like he's kind of living vicariously through vincent I guess they're both living vicariously, essentially, through each other. It's really unstated. I, I don't know. All the money is going to German. It's 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 clearly not going to Jerome. Yeah, yeah. It's never, it's still, we don't know. I don't know. Maybe they are doing vicarious work. And I mean, in the end, I mean, Jerome kills himself. I, so it, it's like, what? He, what? <laughs> Right, he uh, incinerated himself, which I can only imagine is a horribly painful way to die. God, it's just, it's this film, man. It's its very dark. It is not a feel-good film at all. <laughs> no, I mean, really, I mean, we see this commentary on race and class division in, the con- in this country, mm-hmm. also a commentary on mental well-being, and really the only quote-unquote happy person i could find in the film and it's not even irene i would say it's the doctor who who i i'm going to assume that he's an engineered person and not a love child but he knows who vincent is and it's implied that he has a love child of his own yeah yeah he's the only one yeah irene is kind of depressed throughout this whole thing yeah i mean she i think she's working towards an ultimate goal that she's not going to be able to participate in. So her motivation for staying on at Gattaca is questionable, in my opinion, as well. Yeah. And Irma Thurman, folks, this is one of... She is uh, Irene in this. So this is one of her vintage 1990s roles that she was always appearing in. And now, unfortunately, I don't think I've seen her in really anything to be honest well to be fair after this film she did batman and robin which is straight doo-doo stew (laughs) yeah but but she did do uh not recently but she did do uh kill bill one and two which are really good films by one of my favorite directors quentin tarantino so there's that do you mean the movie where quentin tarantino almost killed her Yes, she is great in them, I do have to say. I didn't watch them until quarantine time. Oh, yeah, they are, but she's been subjected to the horror of Quentin Tarantino for years and years. Yep. So this is Irma Thurman, folks, (laughs) um, fresh off of Pulp Fiction and very dark, sad, and dour film. <laughs> in, in in some ways, yes, it was, because we see everybody kind of go their separate ways. I mean, Vincent ascends the, the spaceship to go to Titan. Jerome is obviously you know, dead in the, in the bathroom oven and, (laughs) and his brother Anton is just, um, is just left kind of unresolved that he has this unresolved pain and anger that he has for his family. And then we find out, then we find out at the end of the film that, that Gore Vidal was responsible for the homicide, a perfectly quote unquote engineered being that is capable of murder just totally upends the entire investigation of Alan Arkin. Anyone, Chris, is capable of murder. It's just 
At the end, you must deal with the devil. <laughs> and it is more the fallacy of eugenics, but it's it, it, it really kind of proves the argument against eugenics is you can't eliminate that sort of behavior because violent behavior, you know, uh, murder, batter, assault and battery, things like that, those are learned behaviors. There's no genetic disposition towards those. Oh, well, yeah, you know, nature versus nurture. I must survive and all that business. And, you know, some people are cray cray. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the ge- I don't know what the genetic code is for cray crayness. <laughs> well, maybe uh, too many, too much Crayola crayons when you were younger. <laughs> Speaking of cray cray, though, did you uh, have any toxic fandom emanating from Gattaca? Uh, no, no, I didn't get a chance to look up any toxic fandom or anything. Uh, did you? <laughs> I found a new entry in this week in Toxic Fandom. Oh, boy. So when Vincent is confessing to Irene, he tells her he doesn't have 20 or 30 years. His heart is already 10,000 beats overdue. In an average male, this would only be about two and a half hours, not several years as the story suggests. Wow. <laughs> so a heartbeat pedant heard it in the film and got so upset they had to take to the internet some person with a pacemaker typed sweatily on the keyboard actually it's over 12,000 right (laughs) pet ants they have to push up their glasses to the bridge of their nose take a breath of their inhaler and have to furiously type on the internet to let the internet know that this movie got it wrong just wow Wow! Thank you. Thank you for another entry in Toxic Vin. Uh, actually, I just want to confirm that 10,000 beats is only about two and a half hours. All right. Awesome. I'm going to let the internet know. Thank you. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you, Toxic Fandom, for putting some amazing insight into my life about uh, people with heart conditions. <laughs> uh, did you have any red shirts at all? You know, really, the only person who dies in the film is um, the administrator that was murdered by the director. So there really isn't much of a red shirt. Yeah, other than the hairs that were unfortunately plucked from the hairs on their heads. But if I, but if I'm gonna have to go and pick a yellow shirt, I'm gonna have to say it's Doctor Lamar. Oh, Doctor Lamar. Why? Yeah, for the. For the reasons I mentioned earlier, I mean, he seems like the only one who's really happy in the film. And, you know, I mean, granted, he has to look at um, Vincent's ding dong while he's doing the health test. But it's not like he's, hey, how you doing? He's not doing that to him. So the only peppy man in the film is the yellow shirt. Curses. You should be so sad. You peppy man. Why are you happy? <laughs> yeah, the, the he's the tonic to Vincent's paranoia of, oh my gosh, I'm going to be found out at any time. Uh, did you have any lens flares at all? You know, I did. And I texted you about this earlier. But if, in, if you notice in Vincent's flashback, we see a janitorial crew that's up on the roof. And um, s- someone in this crew is carrying a mop with them. What is up on that roof that requires a mop? That is a good question. Why? I mean, I, I like I have to ask. Like, you don't. There's just certain things that you know when you go to do them. There are certain 
items of equipment you know you're not going to need. And on the roof, you know you're not going to need to mop it. Right. I don't I don't bring a blender when I go to mow the lawn. <laughs> well, maybe maybe Google, maybe Google in this future was doing their overpass for the maps and they wanted to make the roof nice and shiny for them. It's ridiculous cuz when I was watching it it had been a while since I watched that and I noticed it and I was like what are they doing on the roof where they need a mop? Maybe maybe they just ran out of budget money and they're like, oh, we just have a mop. I don't know. <laughs> this roof, we can't. We already booked it so there's no shingles to clean. You're mopping, John. You're mopping. Uh, what about you, Sean? Did you have a lens flare? Uh, no, no, not really. I actually, I did not have too much of a lens flare um at all really i i enjoyed the aesthetic usually my lens flares come from like director's choice cinematography or something but it was all doable it was a very dark and sad film so maybe it was maybe that could be a lens flare but uh, no nothing too crazy i was i was okay you know <laughs> i uh i didn't get triggered by anything <laughs> well with all of that in mind let's discuss the legacy of gattaca shall we so against that 36 million dollar budget it only grossed 12 and a half million so mm, uh and this has since kind of had an odd legacy of becoming the starting point against genetic discrimination and the dangers of genetic research i mean we see people who are voluntarily giving up their dna just to learn where they come from but these databases can be exploited for nefarious purposes which my girlfriend just keeps on asking me to donate my saliva to these companies to see how much German and Polish is in me. And I just keep saying no, because I don't want them to clone Sean's in the future. Because good Lord, one is enough. We don't need another one of me. I'm, I'm fine with just one. The world uh, is fine with just me. I don't need a DNA test to know that I have a lot of Polish in my system. <laughs> like, it's, just, it's just something I already know. The nose, the lust for Polish sausage, the alcoholism, the pasty exterior. It's like, we know we're Polish, all right? We look it. I know. Every time I look in the mirror, yep, that's Polish. Exactly. Exactly. We know. Well, there's also, like, insurance companies can deny people coverage based on genetic propensity to certain diseases, and... These DNA bases are databases, excuse me, are being mined now to help police departments solve cold cases with the help of genetic genealogy. And the Golden State Killer was just caught two years ago based off genetic genealogy. Oh, that's just that's crazy, man. I mean, not that I've committed a crime, but I don't want my DNA out there to, you know, aid the police in doing their job. Like, 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 no, they like they should have the capabilities to go out and do what they want. Like. You know, come back, come at me with a court order or, sub, or a subpoena saying, hey, we want to test your DNA. Like, OK, fine. Then you got it. Like, I'm not going to voluntarily give that up. Are you insane? Hell no. Unless I'm going to get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> so nevertheless, this film did not gross much at all. No, it was nominated for Best Production Design at the Academy Awards that year. Um, yeah, which which makes sense. I mean, it is a very... Uh, revered film it's got like an 81 percent on rotten tomatoes critics liked it yeah um it also won for best costumes best music and best home video release at the saturn awards at that year all right 
kudos to the home releasers. So big, uh, big ups there. Uh, every actor in the film, as far as I can tell, has had a brilliant career after this film. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, Jude Law. Everybody's gone on to bigger and better things, and this film is certainly a feather in their caps. Absolutely. And if you enjoy Roger Ebert's reviews, take them for the, what they will. He did say it was one of the smartest and provocative science fiction films. A thriller with ideas. So I don't know. Take that for what you will. If you still like what he said, pretty much anyone that's younger than us has no idea who the hell that man is. Well, he's <laughs> been dead for a few years, so I, uh, I don't think people put much stock in what he has to say anymore. Ouch! <laughs> man! Dang it. What did he do to you? So, anyways, it's time to rate the film. Awesome! So, with our legendary scale, because now it's legendary, we ask, is it A, wouldn't watch, would watch, would own, or would host a viewing party? Chris, what would you give Gattaca? You know, to be honest, to me at least, this film has not really aged well. I'm always skeptical of films that put in a the not-too-distant card in the beginning of the film in the hopes that the audience will just buy into the premise right away. I more like the approach of dropping the audience in right away and just running with the plot. But to me, the best portion of the film is Vincent's flashback. And most of the film kind of gets derailed from the murder investigation. We... Yeah, we go in and out to Vincent's on a date with Irene, and then he's at work, and then, oh, by the way, there's also a murder investigation going on. Uh, There's also a a major lack of racial diversity film that's weird to view through today's lens. You know, you noticed it earlier by saying, like, hey, it's it's like 99.9% whitey in this film. However, it is bolstered by great performers, uh, performances, top to bottom from the cast, and... That really, for me, helps to bolster the film and lift it up. And for that reason, I'd give this a solid wood watch. You know, don't 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 go out of your way of searching for Gattaca. But if it's on TV or if you see it in your Netflix or wherever, hey, give it a watch. All right. What about you, Sean? Very much like you said, I would rate this as a wood watch. I enjoyed the callbacks for me personally. I know we disagreed on like the color palette and the cinematography, but for me it worked. I uh, really like that. I felt like it definitely set up the world and put us in that view of what they're going through. Um, it's it's definitely a very sci-fi esque film. It's it's very talky, very talky. There's not much action. Um, you do have to follow, though. It isn't perfect at all. There is some convoluted plot with Alan Arkin and the murder. Um, but I think the film definitely makes you think. It makes you think a lot about eugenics, life, family, what is perfection, and kind of, at least for me, about myself and what I liked or didn't like about myself. Um, the science is okay. You know, it's not, it's uh, very 70s esque, I would say, the way they shot the film, the scenes, how they're portrayed, the dialogue, the angles, everything is very reminiscent of a 60s, 70s sci fi flick. So. If you like that style and you want to check out a film that might make you think but also might make you feel a little depressed, give it a shot. I know my mother liked it. Kudos. She told me that she enjoyed it while she watched it. So there's that. Um, But yeah, I would definitely give this uh, a wood watch. Check it out if you want to see a different style of uh, film. 
you know, that you're not used to, um, just be ready, maybe take some Adderall so you can focus because it's definitely, it's really different from our modern age. So we actually agreed for once. (laughs) Fantastic. (laughs) Think of that. So we now go forward and consult Major Samantha, our friendly number generator, who will take us on a journey to our next film. Hey, baby, we're calling. Yes, we are going to enlist the help of our friendly random number generator AI, Major Samantha, to to select our next film from a list of 118 films. And from that list, she has selected... Number 65 is a film directed by Terry Gilliam, starring Jonathan Price and Robert De Niro. It is Brazil. Oh, my God. Get ready, dude. Get ready for Brazil. It is a once-in-a-lifetime film. It is crazy. (laughs) It is so trippy, interesting. Get ready, man. I cannot wait to get on this journey. Oh, great. (laughs) All right, so that's going to be our film for next time. Please watch and enjoy with us. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. It really helps to drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at ForceFed Sci-Fi. You can check out and download episodes from Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. And go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, forcefedsci-fi.com for show notes and links to all of our social media. So for all of us at the Forcefed Sci-Fi team, we will see you next time. Forcefed Sci-Fi is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design, associate producer, and editing by Jeremy Kesky. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.